With vaccines now on the market for COVID-19, the race is on to get needles in arms. But the international vaccination effort is uneven, due in part to manufacturing challenges. And voices in this country calling for Canadians to be put at the front of the line could end up sabotaging the entire effort. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is Why. The scientific community performed an enormous feat, creating and manufacturing numerous, actually now there are several effective vaccines in record time. Now it is up to all of us to come together to achieve the highest possible level of immunization across the world. And that means equitable access to and delivery of vaccines. And while there has been progress to address this critical issue through coordinated efforts such as COVAX, the trend towards vaccine nationalism seriously undermines the potential of these collective efforts. That's OECD Secretary General Angel Gurria recently speaking out against an idea called vaccine nationalism. It's an issue that Canada has been on both sides of. But what is vaccine nationalism? Let's bring in Dr. Joel Lection. Professor Emeritus from in the School of Health Policy and Management at York University. You've written a number of, of articles, a number of pieces on theconversation.com. One was featured on globalnews.ca about vaccine nationalism. If people on the street come up to you and say, Dr. Lection, what is vaccine nationalism? What's, what's the quick explanation you would give? The quick explanation is that vaccine nationalism means that um, we should protect Canadians and um, not worry about anybody else in the rest of the world. So that means putting Canadians in front of the rest of the other 7 billion international residents waiting to get vaccinated. Essentially, yes, it would mean um, getting as many Canadians vaccinated as possible, regardless of their overall risk, um, and then and only then um, worrying about um, people who um, don't have the same kind of um, access as we do here in Canada. So that's primarily the, um, what I think about five and a half billion people who live in low and middle income countries. Mm-hmm. I, it, but there are some challenges to that. Um, one is that Canada doesn't quite have the same vaccine manufacturing capability as other countries. Am I right? That's definitely true, especially when it comes to the um, COVID-19 vaccines. We currently have no manufacturing capability for any of the um, the vaccines that are being rolled out. Why is that? It has to do with decisions that go back three or four decades. So we used to have Connaught Laboratories, which was... In, from the early 70s to the mid-1980s, owned by the Canada Development Corporation. Um, it started to privatize it, and then eventually it got sold off to a French manufacturing company. We had a company in Quebec, again owned by, um, by Canadians, sold to GlaxoSmithKline. Both of these um, companies still make vaccines, 
but the decisions that um, about what kind of vaccines they're going to make are in not in Canadian hands. So the one in northern Toronto make diphtheria, pertussis, pertussis, tetanus, polio vaccines. The one in Quebec makes flu vaccines. Those companies together, which are Sanofi and GlaxoSmithKline, are going to collaborate on a um, on a COVID-19 vaccine, but they won't be making that COVID-19 vaccine in Canada. Similarly, when back in um, late spring, early summer, when um, Canada, the federal government approached other manufacturers about uh, making vaccines in Canada, they all declined. So this problem has been on the federal government's radar for a while and has left Canadians to rely on the international manufacture of these vaccines. I know the Canadian government has come under fire for ordering enough COVID-19 vaccines for the country's population many times over, but the vaccine shipments haven't been regular. I know in one of your pieces you pointed to the SARS epidemic as an early indicator of problems of vaccine manufacturing. How should lessons like SARS have informed preparation for this pandemic? The SARS epidemic in 2003 fortunately wasn't that bad, although I believe um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 80 people in Canada died from SARS, but it wasn't widespread the way um, the way COVID is. Um, after SARS, we set up a number of uh, inquiries looking at how we could do better. Um, one of them, chaired by Dr. David Naylor, recommended that Canada have a secure um, vaccine supply and that it um, develop a national vaccine strategy. Um, out of that inquiry came the Public Health Agency of Canada, um, <clears throat> but we didn't really do anything about vaccines. 2009, there was H1N1, the um, flu vaccine that was made in, um, in Quebec was delayed because of production problems in the Quebec plant. Um, we didn't really learn a lesson from that. Um, 2014, there was Ebola, which fortunately didn't make it to Canada, but at the same time, we should have learned that we needed um, a vaccine, a vaccine um, manufacturing capability, um, but we didn't seem to um, learn a lesson there either. So fast forward to January, February 2020, and Canada's um, doesn't have a good vaccine manufacturing capability um, to make any of the um, COVID-19 vaccines. Um, so the government at that point signs contracts with seven different companies, um, as you point out, for 400 million doses, which means if the vaccines need to be have two doses per person. We can vaccinate 200 million people. So what's that? Um, five, six times the population of Canada. Um, some of those, only two of the vaccines have been approved 
in Canada right now, Moderna and Pfizer, those deliver, deliveries of those are currently being delayed. Um, the other five vaccines are in various stages. Based on the messaging you've heard from the Public Health Agency of Canada and from the Prime Minister, what are your thoughts on how this vaccination manufacturing problem that Canada has in light of the increased likelihood of another pandemic, and will it cause the federal government to act and shore up vaccine manufacturing? So um, there are a number of um, plants, manufacturing plants, that are going to be coming online over the next couple of years. So um, the National Research Council facility in Montreal, they're building a new plant, which is going to make the Moderna vaccine. Um, sorry, the um, not Moderna, um, Novavax vaccine, but that won't start until toward the end of 2021. Um there's a plant coming online in Quebec City, but they won't be making anything for 2020, until about 2023. There's another um, a couple of plants in Western Canada, but again, those are um, those are not imminent. Uh, I think the first one is again the end of 2021. Um, but all of these announcements seem to me from what I've been reading piecemeal. Um, and so far, I haven't heard anybody coming out with a coherent strategy for um, what we're going to be doing in the future. And I think a coherent strategy um, would entail a number of elements in it. So first of all, it's a clear p commitment to um, Re to put in money for re into research into vaccines um, for pandemics that are likely to occur in the future. Um, look at what viruses are out there, which ones um, have the most potential to cause problems, and be doing research into those, be doing research into new methods of making vaccines. Secondly, we need a, um, a commitment for manufacturing capability. And based on what happened with the sale of um, Connaught and the Quebec um, facility, I think that we should be looking at a crown corporation to make vaccines so that the accountability is... The, so that the ability to produce vaccines, um, there's accountability to, directly to the public. When vaccine plants are controlled by private interests, there isn't really accountability to the Canadian public. Um, and finally, <clears throat> if we give out money to, um, to private interests, either to do research on vaccines or to make vaccines, those contracts or grants need, the details of them should be made publicly available so that everybody knows what's happening and so that if some people want to criticize what's going on um, from any side of the political spectrum, 
they've got the information to be able to do that. From a medical point of view, from the virus's point of view, why is it important to get the entire Earth's population vaccinated against the coronavirus, as opposed to just a few countries? So in, in the short term, vaccine nationalism will probably work in Canada's favour because it will increase the number of doses of vaccine and increase the number of people in Canada who are getting vaccinated. Um, But in the longer term, um, if we just worry about the Canadian population, then the the virus is going to run wild in places where it's already doing that. So Brazil, um, parts of Africa, um, India, Pakistan, um, any of the low and middle income countries. Um, When the virus runs wild, um, it has a much greater chance of mutating. Um, And what we've seen already is that we can't keep those mutations out of Canada. So they're going to eventually work their way back. And even if everybody in Canada is vaccinated, there's no guarantee that the vaccines that we've received are going to work against any new mutations. So we may be back in the same situation or even worse um, if we don't worry about the rest of the world's population. So Canada on its own has a very limited ability to um, to to help other people, other countries get vaccinated. But what Canada can do is use its reputation in the international community to aggressively push for um, <clears throat> for making sure that everybody is vaccinated. And one of the things that that would involve is um, currently going on at the World Trade Organization where a number of low and middle income countries are pressing the World Trade Organization to suspend, temporarily suspend um, certain provisions. Um, and by suspending those provisions, it would mean um, the intellectual property around vaccines would no longer be enforced. And other countries that can make vaccines would be able to ramp up production, um, increase the supply of vaccines, probably lower the cost because these would be take, production would be taking place in lower lower cost countries um, and help ensure that the vaccine is much more widely available. So far, though, Canada position at the World Trade Organization has been to block the um, the the movement to um, to temporarily suspend um, intellectual property around vaccines. Hmm. That's um, interesting. And I wonder if you can speak to COVAX a bit, what it is, what Canada's role is in it, and what the state of, of that vaccine pool is right now. Because I forget where I read it last night, but there's a, a, a large number. The, the, the idea behind COVAX and its reality are there's quite a big distance between those two. So COVAX is the one example of international cooperation around vaccine delivery. The idea here is that the rich countries like Canada 
um, put money into COVAX. Um, and Canada, to its credit, is the second largest national donor um, to COVAX. I think we put in $230 million. Um, we're second only to the United Kingdom. Um, and then you put in money, and that money does two things. One of them is it pays for vaccine delivery um, to low- and middle-income countries where they wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, but the second thing it does is it gives Canada the right to purchase vaccine through COVAX. Um, and Canada, to its shame, in my view, has decided to take up that option and is going to buy 1.9 million doses of, of vaccine by the end of March through COVAX. Um, as I said, I think that that's really immoral um, on the part of Canada that, yes, it may help um, us vaccinate more people here, but what it does is it just de helps deplete the um, store of vaccine that um, COVAX is able to produce for countries that are in much greater need than we are here. On a, on a moral or philosophical grounds, we should be concerned that we're being seen in the international community um, as selfish by hoarding vaccine. But on a much more personal and health level, we should be concerned because as a lot of people are fond of saying, but not observing, nobody's safe until we're all safe. So if the vaccine, if the virus is not controlled around the world, then eventually it comes back here. We saw that, well, we didn't, but our forebearers saw that in 1918 when um, the Spanish flu hit and there were waves of it um, because it kept coming back until it um, finally burned itself out. Um, and if we want waves of COVID to keep coming back into Canada from somewhere else, and that somewhere else could be almost anywhere in the world, then fine, let's keep going and doing what we're doing. Um, but let's not be surprised that in 2022, um, we start to see um, a new variant of, of COVID. The global economy stands to lose as much as 9.2 trillion, which is close to half of the size of the U.S. economy, just to put it in context. If governments fail to ensure developing economies access to COVID-19 vaccines, as much as half of which would fall on advanced economies. So they would lose around 5 trillion. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and stay home. We'll see you soon. Now, the second test 
for global solidarity is a long-term but no less critical challenge. And that is to prepare the world for future shocks. Looming global, global crises. Uh, yeah, but chief among them, climate change. 